Good morning, church. Let's stand as we worship together. When we sing, we sing with a cloud of witnesses. As they're worshiping in heaven, we're worshiping on earth. We come before our almighty God and we sing his praises. We sing of his goodness. Let's sing loud this morning as we worship our King. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son.
morning, we just want to take a moment to just quiet down and come to you, Lord. I know in my personal life, I've been struggling with some things. One of my best friends has ALS and he is nearing the end of the road. To be honest, I haven't been dealing with it in the best way. But there's a couple things that, that I think about. One is all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. Even though I have no clue how this can possibly glorify the Lord, but that's where faith comes in. Faith that no matter what happens, he is good and he holds everything in his hands. The other thing is that he has sent us a comforter and that comforter is the Holy Spirit. He has come to comfort those who are lost, those who are heartbroken. So if you're joining me this morning, I'm going to have you pray for me, my friends, and the families that are suffering this morning. Lord, we just come before you. And those families that are suffering, Lord, those families that are hurting, Lord, those families that don't understand why things are happening, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit to comfort them. To the people here, Lord, to the people outside, Lord, that they would be able to feel that comfort, Lord, and immediately know that it is from you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, even in the hard times Lord Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Love to 
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. I'm so glad that you're with us. Whether you're online with us today or you're out in the patio or you're in the video venue, in the building, welcome. We're stoked that you're with us. My name is David Hurtado. And just in case you're new to us, I just want to make sure you're introduced. I'm the lead pastor here. And before we dive into the Word of God today, I have something that I want to make sure that you are well aware of way in advance. Uh, when you leave today, we have these cards right in the table on the center. As you leave the building in the lobby, there are these cards 
and they say walk for water on them. If you've been a part of our church for any kind of length of time, you know that two or three times a year, we try to do something to get outside the walls of our church and remind ourselves that it's not just about what happens in here, but we want to affect the world locally and globally. And so we do these little initiatives. Our initiative for the month of May is called Walk for Water. What we're going to be doing is doing a, a little bit of a walk together that we will map out together, and we will do a six-kilometer walk, a six-kilometer uh, walk together. We will route that out together. And the reason we're doing that is because that's on average what a woman in Africa will have to walk to get clean water for her family. And so we want to join them in understanding what they're doing, how they have to walk and do that. And if you will register in advance, this is why we're telling you a month ahead of time, uh, you will get a shirt, uh, a little uh, 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 World Vision uh, kind of a sticker that you put on your chest, looks like you're running like a 5K race, right, with a number on it and everything. And then when you finish line, you'll actually get a little medal with us as well, and then we'll do a barbecue afterwards. But we need you to register in advance so you can have the supplies for you who are deciding to participate in this with us. So what we're gonna do, we'll have church together, uh, we'll, we'll go on a walk together, and we'll come back, celebrate together. And every time we get a registrant, to this endeavor, which is $50 for adults, I think it's $25 for your kids. Um, that'll, you know, what you'll get is the, your shirt, you'll get the medal, you'll get the, the little sticker that you put on your chest, and the barbecue is all included for that, but that will help us supply clean water to folks in Africa and families in Africa who are in need. Whether they use that for, for wells or whatever they use that for, uh, all the monies will go to, to that endeavor in Africa. So what I want you to do today is just take this card. Take the card with you, read it a little bit later this week, and then some point you can go on our website, scroll down, click on Walk for Water, and you can register yourself and your family. We need you to do that so we have the supplies uh, come the date of May 21st when we are doing this. So today, simple. Just grab the card and be, mi be mindful of it. There's some of you who go say, I can't walk a, a 6K. That's okay. You can still register and sponsor somebody else to walk for you. Your heart is still uh, with us as we do that together. Can you do that? So leave today, grab a card, grab two, and make sure you register before it comes. Well, this past week, I found myself on a plane flying over Denver, Colorado. Uh, I had been uh, invited by the former president of our family of uh, converged family of churches. I mentioned before that we're a part of this association of about 1,500 different churches across the United States, formerly known as a denomination. Now we just call it a family of churches who think we're better together than we are apart and, and, and alone. And so the, the former president of our converged family churches invited about 15 to 20 pastors to come together in uh, Denver, Colorado, so he could mentor us. Unbelievable. I can't believe that I was a part of that and that I got to be a part of that. It's just been really, really good for my own development and then really good for our church. And you'll see things to come because of that mentorship. But as I'm on the plane, I notice this young lady sitting next to me. Uh, of course, I'm on the window seat and the, the middle, the middle, like Southwest, please don't sit by me seat. And then there's the, you know, she's on the aisle. And so, uh, and, and she's sitting there and, and we're on the plane together. And of course, when you hit Colorado, you're going to hit some turbulence and it starts getting rocky. And so I think to myself, well, this is your chance to do your good deed for the day. Right, and she's nervous and whatever. She's looking out the window. It's like, close the window on her. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, but you know, she's there. And I, and I said, I said, listen, you're gonna be fine. It's okay. We're gonna be fine. And she goes, how do you know? And I go, well, I'll tell you how I know. 
because I'm looking at the, like, the, like the flight attendants, and if the flight attendants are joking and having a good time and making jokes, then we're going to be fine. And look, they're joking. They do this every day, and this, this amount of turbulence doesn't bother them. They're just doing, they're happy. Now, when they get nervous, we're all going to die. <laughs> You know, and in my little mind, I was helping the lady out, you know, you know, uh, she had a fear uh, of, of turbulence. She had a fear of flying. Uh, I have fears, uh, you know, I just, it's just flying isn't one of them, but, but I have fears. Like, a, a, for example, like I think every big man has a fear of the plastic chairs, <laughs> whether or not it's literally, you know, on its last leg, you know. Um, uh, I, I know somebody who, you know, sat down for dinner and broke the chair in front of everybody and how embarrassing that was for him. Horrible day in his existence. Um, so I have, I have, I have fear. I have a fear of heights. I I'm scared of heights. I, I don't know for some reason I can get on a plane. It's not a problem, but uh, you know, I, I've been to the space needle in Seattle. I've been to the B of a building in San Francisco. There's a restaurant on top. You can go hang out up there. I've been to the stratosphere in Las Vegas, which apparently is like higher than all those things. And, and my response on all those things, when I get off the, the, the elevator is to like find the wall, right? You guys do that? And like, and for some reason, if I, my hands are touching the wall, I feel like I can, you know, I'm okay, you know. Or, or if there's a rail, I'm holding the rail, you know, there's like a sweaty grips on the rail, you know. And, and I, and for, and, and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, as long as I can touch something that's stable, then we're stable, you, you know. And I always get off those things going, you know, it's not like, you know, why, why does that make me feel better? I get down the bottom and I'm back to, you know, you know, you know, you know equal ground or whatever. And I realize if the building falls, the wall's going to fall like the rails are going to fall. So I don't know why that makes me feel better about myself, but it's like a control thing. I realize like I've got to be in control and, uh, and, and, and that helps me feel like I'm in control. One time I took my wife to the B of A building in San Francisco, the very top, we can do dessert. We couldn't afford dinner, so we just got dessert. And we're up there and you sit down and they have like floor to ceiling windows and you're seeing the landscape of San Francisco. And very quickly you realize as you look at yourself, you're in a building and you look at the other building across from you, you realize that the buildings are swaying. You can see them as you're trying to eat your dessert. Like how can you eat dessert when you realize the building? And they build these things on rockers so if there's earthquakes, they don't fall. And you're just like, you're like oh, this is destroyed. Never mind, I take it back. I don't want the dessert, you know, type of thing. I, but, you know, I realize that my fear of heights is really a trust issue. I don't really trust the building. I think it's gonna fall or something of that nature. Uh, that's why I, you know, have such a fear of it. I don't feel like I'm in control of it. I don't trust what is going on. I don't trust the plastic chair to hold me up. And it's amazing how a lack of trust can have such an impact on our everyday lives. You know, um, you know, when I went to the stratosphere, there are people who jump off the stratosphere in Vegas on a, on a bungee cord, and they just jump off, you know, you can watch them sit there and you just watch these idiots jump off, you know, <laughs> And I think to myself, you couldn't give me $100,000 to do that, I would never do it. You couldn't give me a million dollars, I would not do it. Five million dollars, you might see the big man jump off, I don't know. But, but I'm just saying, you know, the lack of trust can impact our lives so much. Some people do things for thrills, there's no way I would do that. And you know, so can a lack of trust in God impact our spiritual lives. And that's where we're headed today. Just like a lack of trust in life can impact our everyday lives, a lack of trust in God can impact our spiritual lives. How does a lack of trust affect our relationship with God? How does it end up that we end up dismissing him in the process or even discarding him? Like when our spiritual trust fades, 
How is it that God ends up excluded and rejected? How do we guard our hearts against ignoring God and how do we guard our hearts against falling away or the new term is reconstructing in your faith? For that, we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter eight. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn there right now. Open up your Bible. If you don't have a bound Bible, like a, a Bible in leather, we would like to give you your first one. And so please, before you leave today, head out to the counter and say, I don't have a Bible. Now you gotta make sure you're not lying because we have like, you know, zappers there when you lie and they'll zap you. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. If you have your phones, open it up right now. Go to 1 Samuel chapter eight. We're looking at verses one through nine together. Not a long passage and, and not even a big, deep theological passage, but some of the ramifications of what's in here are gonna be very, very challenging. The overarching question today, how is our lack of trust in God visible in our everyday lives? How is our lack of trust in God, how is that visible in our lives? How will we find that visible in our lives? And the first thing we're gonna see is that our problem-solving strategies exclude him. When we come upon problems in life and we have to problem-solve in life, we will find ourselves excluding him when we don't trust him. Does that make sense? We just take him out of the process. He's not no longer in the scenario. Uh, I, I don't lean on God. I don't lean on that which I don't trust. And so therefore, our problem-solving strategies exclude him. And I want you to see this in verses one through five of chapter eight. It says this, it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, it says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in, the, in his ways and turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramoth and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a what? A king to judge us like all the who? All the nations. We'll stop there. How is our lack of trust in God visible in our lives? Well, He's subtracted from our problem-solving strategies. He's excluded. Nowhere in this do they say, let's ask God about what we should do. No, they have their own solutions. Give us a king like the nations have a king. Uh, instead of going to God, which is our worldview, and asking him what we should do in this particular situation and going to his word for wisdom or going to him or his prophet for wisdom in the Old Testament. They say, we've got our own solution. And it's subtracting God out of this situation, excluding him and say, look, all the nations have a king, we want a king. And so there's a problem and then they come up with a solution that might be antithetical to what God would have them do. The issue is Saul's sons. Uh, and there's irony in this idea of, uh, not Saul, Samuel's sons. Uh, there's irony in, the, in this idea of Samuel's sons. If you've been with us in the series, you remember that there was another guy, the high priest Eli. He had two sons, remember that? And, and they did some foul things, perverted things. And, and so his two sons go a different way than Eli. And now Samuel's two sons go a different way than Samuel. And so there's a bit of irony in this whole thing. Apparently their names are tied to three activities. They have dishonest gain, they're accepting bribes and perverting justice. They might all be wrapped into one. Accepting bribes is dishonest gain. And in the process of doing that, they pervert justice along the way as well, basically selling their uh, their judgment ship or whatever um, to the highest bidder. 
And it reminds us what happened with Eli and his sons who were priests, or they were supposed to be priests, and, and they got involved in some wickedness. They end up sleeping with the women who came to serve the temple. They end up uh, eating the choicest meat of this, uh, that was sacrificed to God and was for God alone. And the problem is that Eli joined them in that, and that was how he implicated himself. He got involved with the wickedness of his sons. We don't see Samuel do the same. But there is a, a, a kind of like a mirroring, a paralleling here. Hey, Eli had two sons, they went off the deep end. Hey, Samuel, you had two sons, they went off the deep end. And it's almost being thrown in his face. And the irony of their names, Joel, you might not know this, but that means, literally, the Lord is God. But he wasn't really submitting to him as God. He's doing his own thing. Abijah means my divine father is Lord. Again, not something that he was having much effect on his life as he wasn't submitting to the Lord. It certainly wasn't the Lord of his, of his life. And so here, as you can well imagine, Samuel, who's lived a righteous life, overseeing all of Israel, he's old now. What does he do? He installs his two sons as judges, and they don't seem to take on the same values that he does. They don't seem to espouse the same heart for God as he does. Have you ever felt like a horrible mother or father because your children seem to have left the faith that you raised them in? You might be surprised the company you keep. Samuel, this passage. King David. God himself. Do you know he had two children named Adam and Eve who went their own way? You see, you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and that doesn't mean that your kids will do the same thing. And if they don't do the same thing, that doesn't mean that you are a horrible person per se. It could just mean that they decided in their own will and desire and volition to do their own thing. Well, here, the difference between Samuel and Eli is that Samuel doesn't participate in the sins of his sons, and he turns to God in response to their sin. We're going to see that later in the passage. He doesn't cover it up. But the religious leaders use this as their grand excuse. Now is our chance. Here's our time. Now we can corner Samuel, and we can get him to do what we want. We can get him to make us a king. Now, this is highly ironic. Because here Samuel's going, I'm old in age, and so I've, I, I've appointed judges over different areas to rule over different areas. And, and if a judge goes sour, if a judge goes sideways, if a judge acts unrighteously, you can always just sit them down. You're disqualified, you're done, and you can appoint another judge. But if you have a king, it doesn't work that way. If you have a king who is as human as everybody and is, has the, the fallible nature of all human beings, is sinful in his heart, and that person goes sideways, you can't just uninstall a king. And by the way, if the king's son goes sour and is different than the king's dad or than the king himself, you can't, he's king. He's the son. He's the prince. And so there's, there's no qualification for getting rid of a, of a king. But they use this, even though it's absurd, they use this as a reason why Samuel should give him a king. Look, your sons are going sideways. We need a king, like all the nations have. As if that makes sense, what if the king's son goes sideways himself? King, ancient kingship, uh, in their context, would have meant this, nearly limitless authority for a king. 
Uh, they claimed divine support for their rule in ancient times. Kingship was believed to be lowered down from heaven itself, and having its roots in original creation. They were considered, the king was, to be a vice regent of a divine ruler himself. They often were considered to possess a divine office so that when they died, they became gods themselves. This is what Israel wanted. No. We don't want God as our king. We want another human king. They thought they were at a disadvantage militarily, so they thought we need a king like the Philistines have a king, like the, 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 the Almachites have a king. We need a king like they so we can defend us. Even though God was the one who was providing them victories, even miraculous victories against their enemies, as long as there's just one condition, you gotta keep your part of the covenant. If you keep your part of the covenant, I'll defend you. Well, Maybe if we had our own king, he could defend us and we wouldn't have to keep our part of the covenant. God was presiding as king. He was sitting on the throne. He was dispatching the heavenly armies to defend them, sitting above the Ark of the Covenant. And they thought they were at a disadvantage. How could you be at a disadvantage when God's sitting on the throne? The central authority belonged to God and they wanted instead to give that authority to a sin-riddled, fallible human leader. In effect, what they were doing was trying to restructure something we call a theocracy. Theocracy is God himself is presiding over, he is reigning over, he is the king. That's not good enough, we want a human leader. God wasn't enough for Israel. And they wanted their own king, as if they didn't have one already. The human institution of kingship was viewed as more visible, more trustworthy, a better guarantor of security for the nation. And in the process, God is excluded. Which is what happens. Our lack of trust in God is visible in our lives, and how do we find it visible when I come upon a problem and I'm so, uh, in a problem-solving strategy, and all of a sudden I begin to exclude God in the discussion? No longer looking to him for guidance, no longer trying to see what he would have me do. I've got my own solutions, and I'm gonna pick the solutions of societal values. I'm, I'm gonna pick the solutions that are out there in secularism. Everything that I'm seeing around, around me, that's what I'm gonna grab as my solution rather than going to God himself and asking him for solutions. Have you ever done this in your life? I know I have. You know, this concept of asking for a king, it began to make me think, like, who's really king over our lives? Like if I asked you, what is king over your life? We think, oh, I, well, you know, we don't have God as a theocracy, so we don't ever ask, you can't apply this to ourselves. I mean, they had a king and they said, God, we don't want you as king. And I thought, well, who is king of our lives? And do we ever try to supplant God in that place in our own hearts? And I ran across this, uh, this publication. Somebody in the 90s, had, and it's probably a little different today, but somebody in the 90s had calculated the typical lifespan of 70 years. I think we're about 75, 77 years now. Our medical technology has gotten better. We live longer. Um, uh, uh, you know, and so, and, and so, but anyway, if it was 70 years, here's the estimate. We'll spend 23 years sleeping. 
will spend 16 years working. Eight years of our lives will be devoted to television. You'd have to add in social media somehow. Now, that, that number probably goes up, my guess is. We'll spend six of years of our lives eating. We'll spend six years of our lives traveling. We'll spend four and a half years of our lives leisure. Four years of our lives will be devoted to an illness or illnesses. Two years of our lives will be spent dressing. Just, just putting clothes on and taking them off. By the time it's all said and done, we all have spent two years of our lives, you know, um, there's all kinds of jokes to come to mind. But anyway, um, six months of our lives will be devoted to religion or faith-based activities. Six months of our lives. Add it all up, you get 70 years. What is so prominently excluded in our lives? Well, according to this survey, faith-based activities. And if I asked you what is king of your life and you're just to divide up the amount of time you spend in different areas of your life, what would the activity be that is king presiding over your life? Take away sleeping, we'll give you that one. You have to do that. Some of you do a lot more than you need to. Take that one aside. What is the activity that predominantly takes the main focus of your life? Well, as we come back to the passage, it's interesting. That which is excluded is eventually rejected. How is our lack of trust in God visible in our lives? Well, number one, our problem-solving strategies, we exclude him. Number two, our problem-solving strategies eventually end up rejecting him. First he's excluded, and then he's rejected. And I want you to see this starting in verse 6. It says this. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. That displeased him in his heart. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. He's going to the Lord in all this. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from, the, from, from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. And so they're also doing it to you. It's not you, it's me they're rejecting is what he's saying. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. He's gonna give them a warning. We'll look at that next week. This is what you're asking for. You have God as king, and you're asking for a human being to be your king. Just understand, what you're asking for is not necessarily a good thing. How is our lack of trust visible in our lives? Well, our problem-solving strategies end up rejecting him. That's how we know that we have a lack of trust for God. And so and I, it's unbelievable that God would, would say yes to this, but remarkably, the Lord grants this request even though it's a flat out rejection of himself. Give them what they want is the idea. God will not force himself on you. You don't want him, he'll simply let you have what you want. If you're here and you're wondering, he will not force himself on you. He'll wait for you to desire it from yourself. And he goes on to the history. For historically, these people have rejected him, as we say, all the way back Centuries earlier in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 8, if you want to see this, this is back to the mosaic, uh, 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 the time of Moses, even back then. Israel wasn't rejecting the Lord when they're rejecting his chosen leader, they're reje rejecting the Lord himself. 
Here Moses comes to represent God to the people. They reject Moses. No, you're not rejecting Moses. You're rejecting the Lord himself. And this is a key point. When you reject a leader that represents God and his values and morals, you are not rejecting the leader. You're rejecting the Lord himself. Understand, don't get it twisted. He, it's easier to say, I don't, I, I don't mind God, but I just don't like what he's saying. Well, if he's representing what the word of God says, then he's re- representing God's very word, and you are not just rejecting that person that makes it make you feel better. I reject that person. No, you're rejecting God because he's espousing the values of God. So understand that. You don't, you don't get to decompartmentalize them. And go, well, I just don't like this person, but I don't mind God. Well, if he's representing the word of God, then you're rejecting God himself. The irony of all this, you have God as your king, God who can never sin, God who is all-powerful, God who is everywhere, God who knows everything. He's your king, and that's not good enough for you, so you want a human king to be put in place. And of course, the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is all about the fallout of these kings when they rejected God as their king. But here's the irony. The people of Israel were supposed to be distinct from all the nations of the earth. What was to mark the difference between them and all the other nations? They all had human kings, and Israel was to have God as their king. He was supposed to be distinct. That was supposed to be the distinction. He was to preside over them as king. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 9. And that's what they desired to do away with. This is what made you, it was a distinctive of yours, and you want to do away with it because you want the pagan ways. You want worldly ways. You want societal ways. You want what everybody else in society is grabbing at. Instead of wanting what the Lord dictates in his word. I think we can all see parallels in our own lives. We have God, and yet we choose secular things or societal values to fill our voids instead of God. We do this all the time. So before we start pointing the finger at them, we might look at ourselves and go, well, maybe different words, different titles, but the same heart action. And so God tells Samuel, go ahead, give it to him. And then warn them about what this is gonna look like. Heed the people's requests, hear the voice of the people, warn them of the consequences of their demand, and we'll look at that next week in detail. But this brings us to the big idea, which is this. We will all come to a place in our faith journey where our ultimate allegiance is tested. We will all come to a place in our faith journey where our ultimate allegiance is tested. It will happen. You will find a way. By the way, if you're new to the faith, I know we have people in the room right now that are new to the faith. I want to let you know so that you're not caught off guard. There'll be a place in your life where the enemy will put some kind of obstacle there and it'll be a test of your faith. Where is your ultimate allegiance? Is he sitting on the throne? Is he king or is he not? Is he God or is he not? Every one of us will come to that place where your ultimate allegiance is tested. That's what happened to them. Were they okay with God being king? Were they okay with God being God? Or were they ready to encroach on his position? We don't want him in that spot anymore. We want to put somebody else in that spot. Something else in that spot. If we were to be honest, we would have to admit that we all do the same. We all come to a place in our faith journey where our ultimate allegiance will be and is tested. And of course, we all should desire to pass that test. 
Let me see if I can illustrate this in a way, in a different way. I came across this article this week. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cute. It says this. A number of years ago, I spent a summer teaching in Mexico. Both my children went with me. Uh, to pass the time, we drove. Uh, my three-year-old son, Larry, watched license plates. Trip to Mexico, netted him. License plates from 24 states. And while we were there, we saw four more. And so before we started back, we were already halfway to collecting all 50 states. License plates. On our return to the trip, we, during our our return trip was during peak season, and to top it off, uh, we went through Yellowstone National Park, a license plate collector's paradise. By morning of the second day there, he had just one more plate to go, Delaware, and Larry became obsessed with finding a, a license plate from Delaware. And when we stopped to see Yellowstone's magnificent, magnificent, magnificent sights, he didn't glance at them. Prefer to run up and down the parking lots looking for license plates. Talk about stress, talk about anxiety. You would have thought the whole, his whole life depended on finding a Delaware license plate. When we stopped to eat in the cafeteria in Yellowstone Falls, my son begged to let, me look, let him look for license plates. Please, I don't want to eat, Larry said. Can I just stay here in the parking lot? No, we told him, you have to eat. And so he went inside and ate as quickly as he could to get the food down, and then he headed out to the parking lot. No sooner had we finished our meal, however, that Larry came bounding across the parking lot. Come here, you've got to see it. You won't believe it unless you see it. All of us running out there, just, pulled, just pulling out of a parking space, a blue Volkswagen bus with Delaware license plates. In fact, we got a picture, and even to today, a decade later, we look at our Yellowstone pictures, and that's the picture that tells us more about what we did in Yellowstone than anything else. <laughs> I wonder if we'll all get to heaven one day after spending this lifetime looking for Delaware license plates, only to find that God wanted us to enjoy the Yellowstone sights. Have you been distracted away from what truly matters in life? Have you been distracted away from the main thing? You know, distractions, they come in many ways. Not all are negative, some are positive. It's the PTA board meetings, it's the coaching of the local t-ball leagues, it's the pyramid scheme business plans, it's the working on restoring a vintage car. Those things in and of themselves aren't bad as long as they have the appropriate time associated with them. If too much time is given to them, it can be a distraction for sure. But then there's the questionable, even sinful distractions. It's the moving in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend because it seems like it's the wisest financial thing to do. It's the marrying somebody who doesn't share your religious worldview for fear that no one else will ever want to give their life to you. It's going out of your way to cross paths with that person that you really enjoy interacting with even though they're not your spouse. It's engaging in that business relationship with someone who doesn't share your values but can make you a lot of money. And the list goes on and on and on. All of us need to ask this question. Is God a distraction to our daily lives or are the things in our daily lives a distraction to God? 
Who's distracting who? You see, we all come to a place in our faith journey where your ultimate allegiance is tested. And some of you might be there right now. I feel like my allegiance is being tested right now. The enemy has put this rock in front of this path towards God. And I've got to decide if I want to go my own direction or if I'm going to keep on going straight. And it's hard. Because if I choose a straight path, I'll lose things. I could lose money. I could lose friends. I could lose influence. I could lose relationships. I could lose things that I thought God was giving me. And yet if I choose the road towards Jesus... I'll lose that. And I'll have to trust him that he'll provide in some other way. We will all come to a place in our faith journey where our ultimate allegiance is tested. And sitting in the background of those events in our lives are simple questions. Who is king? Who is sitting on the throne? Who is God? would I rather replace him on that seat? I want to ask you if you bow your heads and close your eyes for me. And I want, I want to bring the lights up just a little bit so I can see a little bit more. We're going to do something different today. I, I don't usually, usually do this, but if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. Bow your head and close your eyes. And if you would like me to pray for you because you feel like the distractions are large right now, believer in Christ distractions are large and you want some prayer would you just raise your hand I see that I see that all across the room yeah I see that I see that I see that I want to pray for you I see that thank you for your honesty Father I pray for everybody who just raised their hands and their hearts are saying they want you to be on the throne they want you to be king they want you to be God and sit at your rightful place. They don't wanna take the scepter away from your hand. Would you help them? Would you help them? Would you guide them? Would you lead them? Would you be that still small voice in their hearts that tells them what to do in situations that aren't cut and dry, they're not black and white? How do I move forward in your will? Would you lead them? And would you take that heart and validate that heart that says, I want God to be king in my life. Show them that's the right way. Prove to them that no matter what they might lose in the process, that you have a plan in mind and you know exactly what you are doing. I pray that you do in their lives. And then for, the, for those of you who may be new to this, the whole, new to the whole spiritual thing, I've been having some conversations in our church, and I'm reminded there's people that come in that don't know, they didn't go to church their whole life growing up. They don't know, what is this all about? For you, it's not reinstalling the king on the throne because he's never been on the throne. You, this whole thing of, the, of God who is king and he's, and he's the one that we worship and you serve him versus God serving you, that whole thing is new to you. Here's the takeaway for you. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is this, that everything that's shut back in that closet in your mind that's ugly and naughty and, and you lock it up and the shameful things, the ugly things, the things that you've participated in, the things that were done to you, all those things that bring about shame and sin and guilt, that can all be forgiven and pardoned at the work of Christ on the cross. When you install him as king over your life, 
and you say, you know what? I place my faith in Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. And from that, God says, I will pardon you from the activities of your past, the present, and the future, that you can have a relationship with God, be in the family of God, when you install him as king over your life. Do you want to do that? Again, I don't do this, but just in case there's anybody in the room, are you here? You'd like me to pray for you. You want to take a step towards Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. Anybody here? I see that. Anybody else? I see that. I'm gonna lead you through a prayer that you can silently pray for yourselves. And maybe you were here and you weren't confident enough to raise your hand, but you could still pray this. Lord Jesus, I place my faith in the work, your work on the cross, your death, your burial, your resurrection. I thank you that you have pardoned me from all the things past, present, and future. And I install you as king over my life. And my commitment to you is to serve you not because I'm trying to earn heaven, but because I'm so grateful that you've given heaven to me. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this morning, and I do pray for our church, that we would be a church that, that serves the king who's seated on the throne that we would serve you through our worship, that we would enthrone you with praise and worship. You are worthy, that we would be a church that says we will sit under your word and let it saturate our souls and our hearts and we will be more devoted to it than anything we see on TV or on our favorite podcasts or, or whatever the, the world tells us is the, the right way. We will trust your word over all those things. That there isn't a human king who can bring rightness to this earth but it takes a divine king, and that's the king we will serve. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, thank you, Pastor David. If you're here today and you just prayed for the very first time to put Jesus um, on the throne of your life, and you've made that commitment to follow him, accepted his offer to forgive you through his death on the cross, then you're a Christian, welcome to the family, congratulations. Uh, yeah, amen. Um, and I would just ask this of you, if after the service, if you can go to the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side um, and let someone know that you just prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, um, they want, they're they there to pray for you, answer any questions, give you a Bible if you don't have one. Uh, we want to really be part of this journey with us. And if you're joining us online, please go to camcc.net and click on Next Steps and fill out a little form there and let us know what God's doing in your life. All right, we're gonna receive our offering now. This is the way we worship the Lord through giving. There's three ways to participate, as you can see on your screen. You can go to the website, you can give via text, and we have an offering box in the lobby. This is uh, how all the ministries here are supported. So if the Lord's put on your heart to support his work here at KMCC, that's how you do it. All right, uh, one more thing I wanna say, David mentioned the walk for water. Uh, you can sign up on our website. You can, um, you click on there, sign up. I have a table out front if you have any questions. Uh, one thing he forgot to mention, we also, we're doing a 6K, but we also have a one mile option. Um, and then the really important thing is we're only having one service that day at 9 a.m. You guys are good, because that's your service. Uh, the next hour, they're gonna have to come early or they're gonna just have to walk, I guess. All right, check out this video, what's coming up next. 
everybody. I'm Allie Smith, the Women's Ministry Director here at KMCC. I'm so glad you're here with us today. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter just to thank you for checking us out. There's Starbucks gift cards, fancy little mugs, all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders. Mark your connection card if this is your first, second, or third time with us so we can spoil you. Or if you're watching online, you can go to kmcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at KMCC. Who are you going to be inviting? Saturday, April 29th, Women's Luncheon, 11 a.m. We will be hearing from women in the mission field, both near and far, as they share their journey and experiences. These tickets are $10 per person. You can sign up online or on the patio. For more info, contact me, Allison, at kmcc.net. Sunday, May 14th, Baby and Child Dedications. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day with us. If you as a parent would like to publicly make a commitment to raise your child to follow Jesus, this is the opportunity. Let us pray over you and your family. To sign up or if you have any questions, contact Elaine at kmcc.net. This will be a powerful morning. Friday, May 26th to Monday, May 29th. Family camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Some more what? Well, some more fun, of course. There's an all-church potluck dinner Saturday night with our worship gathering under the stars at Lake Kachuma. Register now at kmcc.net slash camping. June 18th to 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing 8th graders all the way to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tuluk with wakeboarding, tubing, a giant inflatable water slide and trampoline. You will build lifelong memories. For more info, contact Jacob at kmcc.net. Registration kicks off April 12th at kmcc.net slash briathon. Stay in the loop of what's going on here at KMCC. Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, you can always go to kmcc.net. Awesome. We have a lot of awesome events coming up at KMCC. Um, if you guys have a high school student or you're in high school yourself, Friathon is really awesome. I encourage all the high schoolers here to sign up. Um, you don't have to know how to wakeboard. You'll learn while you're up there, and it's just an awesome, life-changing week. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Ty. I'm one of the drummers here at KMCC. If you, could, if you guys could all do a favor for me and uh, stand up, I'm going to send us off for the service. Um, one thing that I was thinking about um, during Dave's message is, I think, a, um, a danger that we can run into super easily, which is um, we tend to compartmentalize things in our life. Like you have your, your church stuff, and then you have your school stuff, or your work stuff, or your sports teams. And it's a really backwards way from how we're supposed to do life. And I was just thinking about that during Dave's message and how really God should be at the center of every single part of our life. He shouldn't just be something that we, um, we deal with on Sunday morning. It should be a 24-7 thing in our life. So that's what I got out of the message today. If you guys are new here, um, we have some gifts for you at the welcome counter. We also have some donuts and coffee outside for everybody here. Feel free to hang out for as long as you guys want and have a good rest of your day.